watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have once again three movies for you. Coco, The Man Who Invented Christmas, and The Divine Order. And as always, we're gonna rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge being our highest rating, Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh, and send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Jason, it is the holiday week. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you, and happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners who celebrate that holiday out there. And for the rest of you that don't, power to the people. Yes, hopefully uh, you might work for uh, an America-based organization that is taking this week off, and you are enjoying the spoils of that. I know that... For my company, that is the case. Or maybe you're uh, working a double on Black Friday. Or maybe you're doing that. Uh, There's a whole spectrum of experiences out there. Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoy it, regardless of what you're doing. Thanksgiving, like all holidays. For some, it means no work. And for others, it means all the work. Mm Mm-hmm. And we Looking honor, you, Mom. and whoever you might be in that spectrum, we honor your experience mm-hmm. and encourage you to stand in that truth. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving is a uh, is a special time uh, and uh, profound. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would have to say this year, when I think about what I'm thankful for, uh, well, first off, this podcast. Mm. Every single person who's ever listened to it, Mm. everyone who's ever commented. I can't stress enough, guys, that Rebecca and I genuinely don't ever expect anyone to listen to this show. And every time that someone actually shows us that they have listened to it, we are just, we just can't even believe ourselves. No, I don't Uh, believe them, frankly. Yeah, no. Frequently, we call you liars behind your backs, Mm -hmm. but... It's uh, to your face. Yes, yes. Usually, if it's a relative. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, and, and despite what, uh, our, our recent, uh, guest co-host Ingus, uh, thinks, I am also thankful for Becca and, <laughs> and the work she does on this show. Oh, thank you. You know, I'm, Thanks. I'm thankful for every new day that we wake up and we haven't been nuked. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that we're going into an award season where Francis McDormand, Laurie Metcalf, Allison Janney, Holly Hunter, and all those other old crows are in the, con- <laughs> in the conversation. Uh, couldn't be happier about that, uh, or more thankful. Uh, really, you know, I think that being thankful is the way to go. Rebecca, what are you thankful for this year? You know, I've had a week-long beef with good vibrations. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thankful that it's over. (laughs) I have a really hard time holding on to anger. Uh, I'm like a I'm like a goldfish. I forget why I'm upset and then I'm upset, and I lose all the energy of it, and then I just move on to other things. But um, which is not great in your social circle where you're surrounded by a lot of very vindictive people, like vultures <laughs> who do not forget. Not at all. No. Um, but so that said, you know, last week I left you on quite the cliffhanger with that good vibration story, and they called me today and said everything will be fixed, the money will be returned, and there's a gift card waiting for me in the store. So now I feel terrible about everything I've said. <laughs> yeah, guys, just a quick recap. If you did not listen, uh, Rebecca experienced being double-charged uh, on a Good Vibrations tab that she racked up <laughs> <laughs> and uh, was, was forced to run through a series of fairly humiliating and very odd and over-the-top hoops to, uh, to prove what had occurred yeah they made me prove that i knew how to use it i was like that's a bit much (laughs) take my word for it ladies 
Full and invasive. so it was not a return. It was not a, this actually made me worse at sex type situation. <laughs> Which I is think what that, I've used to try to return so many things before. Mm-hmm. Usually the gross, gap. <laughs> gross, <laughs> groceries. Uh, like, ma'am, I'm sorry. That Dyson. <laughs> Foreman grill. That's why they call it Black Friday. So anyway, they were amazing at their customer service experience, and it was a, it was a interesting journey. And I'm glad it's over, and I'm thankful um, to, that it's done. And they were great. Um, and I'm thankful that that happened to you, and that you chose to share it with our show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, no, thank. Thank you. Thank you. I said. I said. I said. I said. Thank you. I said. Can you? I just said thank you. I fucking hear you say thank you. And to that I say, meh. <laughs> um, uh, our, uh, movies. Let's get to our movies this week. The first movie we have is Coco, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of, of the week. week. Despite his family's generations-old ban on music, young Miguel dreams of becoming an accomplished musician like his idol Ernesto de la Cruz. Desperate to prove his talent, Miguel finds himself in the stunning and colorful Land of the Dead. After meeting a charming trickster named Hector, the two friends embark on an extraordinary journey to unlock the real story behind Miguel's family history. Once every year, our ancestors come back to our world. Please have a safe journey. To see family (laughs) and friends. But no living person has ever visited their world until now are you scared of dying jason hmm i think it depends on the method of death Mm. yes i'm more scared about how i might die Mm -hmm. i'm scared about dying like in an embarrassing way well, sure, or like a really senseless way, or like a painful way, mm-hmm. scary way, uh, all those kind of all go together sometimes. They they sure can, mm-hmm. and that's that's the one I really don't want. That would be terrible. One of the things embarrassing and painful. One of the things that has run through my mind a number of times walking around this city uh, has been the thought of like being hit by a car and like in my cl- like final seconds having like some stupid podcast playing on my earbuds. <laughs> Like this one? Yeah, like this one. He was listening to his own podcast. Exactly. I'm like, Rebecca wants me to give her some notes. So I guess I'll walk in and listen to these old, whoa! All these people just gather like, around like, is he listening moments. to his own pot- podcast? Come here, listen, look at this. Like, what's he listening to? Is, that, he is that his own voice? Is that, he died listening to his own voice, you monster? Right. Uh, oh, he's making fun of a, a small brown girl. What the? This animal? <laughs> Leave him there. Don't help him. Leave him. Leave him. Let, let nature have at him. Uh, Immediately about, the crows come. How about you, Rebecca? Um, I am, I wasn't as much until I saw this movie. Oh, no. <laughs> so, guys, we have just now come from watching Coco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and man, is it a thriller. <laughs> Coco is the new Pixar movie. Um, it takes place in Mexico, small town of Mexico. And we follow a Miguel, a young boy um, who has a very um, close supportive family. They all make shoes. And it starts off with an introduction about his family and how sort of the matriarch of his family is his great-grandmother. And her father left the family um, and is considered a terrible outcast from the clan. 
and he left to become a musician mm-hmm. and so music has been banned in the family ever since is what which is why they picked this very practical trade of shoemaking mm-hmm. um, and music is very aggressively banned uh, in the household and has been ever since in this household that contains I guess five generations let's see we have Miguel his parents um, oh yeah, so their four generations, and then the great grandmother, and but then it, and then a lot of the story references her father mm-hmm, and mother, yes. which would be the fifth generation. Yes, um, Miguel, however, loves to play guitar. He's got the bug. And there is a, a local hero in town um, with uh, Ernesto de la Cruz, yes, who uh, is revered by everyone and was a big, uh, big, big musician, big star in Mexico. Yes, been dead many years. Uh, but is 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 held up as sort of an, an Elvis type figure. Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah. knows every his every song, his he's, movies. He's adored and worshipped, but he is absolutely not permitted to be even mentioned in uh, in Miguel's home. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was he was killed um, in a tragic bell accident mm-hmm. um, in the middle of his career. That I would consider that to be one of those ones I don't want. No, yeah, yeah. that would be a bad one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this story sort of takes off on, uh, Dia de Muertos and, um, Miguel wants to go play guitar for the town. They have a talent show and he wants to play and it really comes to a head where he's been hiding that he's been playing guitar and learning to play Ernesto songs and his family finds out and they strictly forbid him from playing ever again. They, they want him to just go full time into the shoe business. Break his guitar. Mm-hmm. And his heart. Mm-hmm. With it. And his heart. Mm-hmm. One the same, really. So in an act of defiance, he follows um, Ernesto's mantra of, of you know, seize your moment, and he breaks into his um, shrine to steal his guitar to go play in this show. And at that point, things start to get a little messy for Miguel, we'll say. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? <laughs> I would. Yeah. I would. Um, I guess it's because it's Dia de Muertos that uh, taking the guitar, um, taking something from the dead, starts to blur this line between the living world and the land of the dead. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he takes it, he is able to now be in the world of the dead and the people in the, in the living world can't see him anymore. Yes. And to the people in the, in, the, in the world of the dead, he still looks like a flesh and blood human boy and that's very frightening to them. Because they look like skeletons. Yes. And so it's that, it's that Twilight Zone thing mm-hmm. <laughs> of the pigs thinking that they're pretty. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yes, so, uh, so all, of the, all of the dead relatives, uh, all of the ancestors are, uh, are portrayed in the traditional Dia de los Muertos uh, look of, uh, of painted skeletons. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, and yeah. uh, with with some, you know, the, they they take some liberties with um with skull shape. I'll say, <laughs> making some skull shapes look a little bit more welcoming and human than others. Yeah, that seemed like it was a challenge to design um, to make a whole cast, a world of characters look mm-hmm. different from each other when basically they're just skeletons yes. that are kind of dressed in different clothes. Yeah. So Miguel goes over the flower bridge. So uh, this is part of the first part of the movie where I like jaw dropping, beautiful, not just like. Wow, Pixar did this crazy thing. Actually, there there was a time before that when Miguel first plays guitar, mm-hmm. like his fingers and like his fingers moving over the strings was some of the best animation I've ever seen. Huh, I didn't even pay attention to that. Um, and then the flower bridge isn't just like, oh wow, look at this like crazy thing they made. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's it's art. It's yes. absolutely jaw dropping. So Miguel goes over into the afterlife to uh, with the intention of trying to find Ernesto de la Cruz. 
uh, and to uh, to connect with him and uh, to basically be able to get a blessing to be able to to be allowed to play music. And uh, and then while over there, he runs into his ancestors and a whole sort of madcap farce ensues. Family secrets come to light. Uh, and in uh, the vast majority of the movie does take place in uh, in the afterlife, mm-hmm. in the land of the dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that kind of brings us to, I think, a first question, which is, will this be scary for children and or will children understand this? And Rebecca and I, despite not having kids, have a little bit of insight from a little girl who sat next to us throughout the movie. They will not understand it. <laughs> the answer is no, they won't get it. This will go way over their heads. She asked a question every time something happened. And I feel there were times where I had that same question. Mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. what, where, what happened to him? Exactly. A lot of it is the what happened, what's happening right now. Yeah, the little girl, like literally like four or five times a minute was like, why'd that happen? Who's that? Why that? Where is they? Why'd that happen? And Rebecca's like, exactly. Thank you. They high-fived her. <laughs> yeah. And then, mm-hmm. um... Well, I think that like one of the the problem the uh, parts of the movie that she had a problem with is one of the more complex and the part that I actually was thinking about when I was like um, this movie scared me is that there's this um, part of the movie so uh, part of the Dia de Muertos uh, celebration is uh, you put up photos of your ancestors or your relatives or the people mm-hmm. that you love that have passed away. And, you know, this whole like uh, land of the dead system is like very much a like a bureaucracy. And they, they make jokes about how it looks like when you're going in and out of like immigration in the airport, they like take your photo and then they're mm-hmm, like, yes, mm-hmm. OK, your photo is up in in, in the real world. Yeah. Um, so you get to go through. And the, only the people who have photos on, on their altars are able to come back and go look, you know, visit. So they're as the dead people can go visit their families who are visiting them. They can't interact, yeah. but they can see their families grow up, and, and that part's it's, really emotional. It's all of it's all a lot of Catholic guilt. Yeah, yeah it's a ton of that. <laughs> There's a ton of... Like, you put that big picture a, up, or else your grandfather's never going to be able to come see you. It's a totally secular movie, but the Catholic guilt is infused so strongly mm-hmm. <laughs> in, Absolutely. In, in these traditions, despite the fact that the movie does not uh, uh, become explicit about any of that part. With all the nuanced laws that yes. you must, like, follow to a T. I mean, really, it's a lot like Beetlejuice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the entire afterlife part is, a, is surprisingly is a lot like Beetlejuice and like that waiting room for mm-hmm. the deceased. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even there's even like a death for the dead thing uh, in this story where when people are when the dead are forgotten by the last person on earth who remembered them, they just like van- they just like turn into like dust and and, and float away. And that is the part that was. Um... Very confusing to this little girl and very sad for me. And it's also very reminiscent of, of fucking Inside Out and Big Bong. And what? Bing Bong. I don't remember that. Bing Bong, like the the, 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 the toy, the childhood toy. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Very similar. Yeah. So, which was, you know, Bing Bong, of course, being the thing that made mm-hmm. most people break down sobbing for hours on end and inside out. Uh, you know, the heroic voice by Richard Kind uh, toy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who helps, uh, you know, get our, our heroine back over, uh, you know, back over into, or getting not our heroine, but Amy Poehler. Back where she needs to be to help our little girl mm-hmm. who's leaving him behind to fade away. So fading memory uh, comes into play in this as well. It's such an interesting thing, uh, theme for a kid's movie. And I guess Toy Story too. also yeah. is very much about like, you know. Being forgotten. Being forgotten. 
that <laughs> really but it's just weird because the audiences are kids who are like in no way that in that right. place in life no one's and forget forget everything that. constantly yes <laughs> i have no capacity for that no, i remember watching this movie um so yeah i thought i mean that was like a i felt like that was a lot for a kid's movie to say it was very much like enforcing this idea of like don't you forget or else they'll be gone forever and right. it's on you yeah exactly um but i think you know i think where the movie tried to make it less scary is i think you know i think they they clearly i think they understood that they had to like make the skeletons not scary and show them just like being funny and acting very much just like regular people and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and interacting warmly with each other. And so that, you know, so it, it has, it has to challenge, you know, more traditional American notions of like death and the dead with the sort of, you know, Mexican traditions of death and the dead where, uh, you know, it's not spooky ghosts so much. Uh, you know, it's just like, this is still your family and you have this every year where you invite them to come back and, and visit with you. Right. And then the, the land of the dead is like a very joyous place that people are having, you know, lavish parties yeah, and right. there are all sorts of things that happen. I, I guess I would say that like kids are, you know, American children are probably exposed to enough imagery around like fun and scary ghosts and skeletons and we have Halloween that I wouldn't think that this movie is um, particularly scary we'll for them see. in that way. I feel like they might just know zombies. And I think if their only experience of like the un, the like the Walking Dead is the Walking Dead, then I feel like <laughs> it might just be a lot of fear based education around this mm. this particular concept. Uh, but uh, but yeah, there is. Uh, in case you're wondering if, since it's a Disney Pixar film, if there's an animal companion. The answer is yes. Who's cleverly named Dante as this little boy goes mm. on a journey through the afterlife? He's a little. He's a little street dog. And, uh, kind of reminds me of that chicken from Moana. Mm, I was wondering if you were gonna was very, take a fancy to him. He was very silly. <laughs> he has a, 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 a absurdly long tongue that so, that can occasionally wrap several times around his snout. Uh, an unbalanced face. I thought you'd like. Yeah, that too. And then uh, and the little girl next to us did comment on the tongue being so long. Mm, mm-hmm. I'm like, she gets it. <laughs> she gets it. Now, guys, if you're wondering with if if Rebecca and her long-standing um, rich emotional connection to animals, at least certain animals, <laughs> uh, if if she was in any danger of crying in this movie the answer is for the most part no uh this dog dante was never really in danger it was Mm -hmm. very much a goofy animal but then (laughs) at the very end of the movie there is a two second shot of dante (laughs) turning a corner with a cat okay let me just a little backstory here um, so part of the, the tradition are these uh, magical creatures. Uh, they kind of look like dragons, kind of look like lizards. They fly. And this one that belongs to um, his great-grandmother, um, that's a big part of uh, uh, the journey and trying to find him, is this big, beautiful cat. Also, these animals are beautiful. This is another mm-hmm. part of the like animation that kind of just really goes off the chain. They're this mm-hmm. neon, multicolored. Uh, it's kind of like a griffin-type thing. It's like a big cat with wings. And it, it looks very fierce the whole time. Like your tattoo. Uh, <laughs> when did you see my butt? <laughs> you peeping. You well, peeping that's again. The, that's where the tail goes. I know there's like the actual like life-size one across your back. <laughs> Just the wings and also the cat in the middle of the wings. It's majestic. <laughs> yeah. And it says Rebecca's Griffin. <laughs> um, so this, um, so this, this creature... Um, also looks a lot like Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon, who also looks like my cat, Teacup. And so this whole time I thought this cat looked like Teacup and, and this griffin looked like Teacup. And then at the end, you see that the that it has become this cat. And then I just got wrapped up in the idea of what if my cat is this like magical spiritual guide. And then I, like the whole movie, I thought for sure I was going to cry because there's a like 
the grandmother has Alzheimer's and there's this whole, it just gets very sad and you know, it's very touching in the very way the Pixar movies yeah. are. Uh, I, I powered through all of that and then this cat turns a corner and I just like <gasps> lose it. Completely lose it. Guys, I thought that she was laughing at the, at the cat and I did not realize what had actually happened until we got up to leave the theater and I looked at her and she was still crying. <laughs> it was a two second shot of a cat and um, and all she could get out was, maybe Teacup is my spirit guide. <laughs> and... I just got a spirit animal tarot deck, so maybe I'll, <clears throat> we'll let you know. Please do. I'll leave you with another cliffhanger. Please do. Uh, so do you think this felt like a Pixar movie? Mm, no. Not I really. I didn't either. I think it felt like more like a Disney movie. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I had some reservations. I was kind of curious about this movie. One, it was first. I was very excited. I saw the trailer. It looked beautiful. Um, then I was immediately a little cautious because I was wondering if this was some sort of like demographic cash grab mm, um, mm-hmm. for the studio. Right. So I was wondering how much heart it was going to have. Um, I felt like that was like the only indicator of like if they had put a lot of thought into it. Mm. Um, and I feel like it, it qualified. Um, I was a little surprised that you put this as the pick of the week um, because I felt like um, there were some there was some artificial um, like um, tension that happened throughout the movie. This whole plot of his like family trying to like hunt him down in the afterlife mm-hmm. that was kind of unnecessary and it was just a lot of like repetitive uh, you know slow motion chase scenes. Right. Um, and I feel like it could have done without that and still told the story. Um, that like I guess it just like wasn't enough of. Uh, maybe like a not enough story. Yeah, um, I could see that. But I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with it. And I, I don't think that it, I just don't think it's like, I think a lot of the, the, a lot of the observations and jokes would be lost on children. And then, but it's still kind of simplistic for adults. So yeah. it kind of falls in that weird middle ground where it's like not quite, mm. it, not, it's not going to be like a, watch this all the time for anybody unless maybe this is a, a case where representation alone will be and mm-hmm. it's it's fantastic it's important it's it's right. wonderful for that and if there are kids who now see themselves on screen and their families on screen um speaking spanish and looking like them then that's that's fantastic yeah no i mean i think that i mean it, it, it is a radical revolutionary thing to have like this giant disney pixar tentpole um be a story that takes place completely and utterly within mexican culture mm-hmm. and uh, and also it's a movie that kind of the characters switch frequently back and forth between english and spanish mm-hmm. and there's no subtitles no. at all uh, and it's it, not like the emperor's new groove situation where it's just a bunch of white actors right. um, being hilarious the whole time but right. um there were a few yzma like moments i must say and there's one point where he's like you never cared about me anyway this isn't about you this is about my journey it was like a very uh cusco like monologue oh my God. but all roads lead to cusco i'm an i'm an obsessive Yes, there's a there's quite a there's quite a cast uh, of uh, of actors playing these voices. We have Gael Garcia Bernal, uh, we have Benjamin Bratt, Alana Ubach, uh, and because it's Pixar, John Ratzenberger, mm, aka always. Norm, which mm. is the character Rebecca felt like when she walked into Good Vibrations last week and was greeted <laughs> with Rebecca. Oh. And I sat down uh, promptly at the vibrator bar. <laughs> No, like, don't sit on that. <laughs> don't tell me what to do. That's just for demonstration. Uh, this uh, I'll show your demonstrations. <laughs> well, you know, in you know, so yes, the the representation part is key, and I wasn't even as cynical as the thing like, oh, they're just doing this for a cash grab. Um, I think that you know, certainly there could be market evidence to support that that they'd be choosing very wisely to do that sure. and to cater to to the demographic. 
in question. Um, but, you know, I think that it is, you know, it's a sort of a cross-cultural learning moment mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for all the kids who are not familiar um, with the, you know, with this mythology. Yeah, I mean, and, this is definitely something that I did not know as much about until I moved to San Francisco. Oh, yeah, um, me too. So now I'm just thinking about, you know, people in other parts of the country uh, mm-hmm. and the world learning about it. I think it's fantastic. And I just, I, I made our pick of the week before we even watch it because I just knew it would be compared to the other two. Uh, so. so stay tuned for those reviews. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I would give it, I would give it, you know, definitely a consume. I think it's, it's really worth seeing the animation. It's beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. It's really uh, just the colors are something you haven't, I haven't seen in Pixar before. Yeah. Um, and it just, it really blends that line between like, um, looking very modern and looking very traditional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess I'd probably also give it like a consume plus because there, to your point, it's, it's simple. Like there, there's a real, I think with Pixar, you come to expect a certain level for their best work. At least you expect a level of, of, of cleverness mm-hmm. of, un, mm-hmm. of ingenuity. And this just doesn't have it. Um, you know, it plays out like a pretty simple, straightforward fable. And, uh, and, you know, it, and it has some, you know, terrific animation, of course, you know, above reproach across uh, for all of that. Some amusing voice performances, mm-hmm. um, you know, just a, a, a great, you know, sort of cultural moment in terms of representation, but just in terms of the actual story, it's mm-hmm. just, it's just, yeah, like it's, it's good. Yeah. 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 But this is not it's like, sweet. I, I don't know that this is going to be like the obvious shoe in at the Oscars. I mean, it might still just because I think that, you know, the Academy is, is terrified that they're going to go into another Oscar so white here. Mm-hmm. So that could certainly give it a boost. But yeah, it's 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 just not that kind of instant Pixar classic that you might hope for. Um, and Coco. <laughs> and it's our pick of the week. And it's our pick of the week. Look at us. <laughs> and it's rated PG for thematic elements. And that brings us to our second movie of the week, which is The Man Who Invented Christmas. Using real-life inspiration and a vivid imagination, author Charles Dickens brings Ebenezer Scrooge, Tiny Tim, and other classic characters to life in A Christmas Carol, forever changing the holiday season into the celebration known today. On Christmas Eve, the spirits pour into the night. Who here, Mr. Dickens? Pickpockets, streetwalkers, humbug. Those people don't belong in books. Charles! Come back! Come back! Come back! It's about a miser, and on Christmas Eve, he meets some kind of supernatural guides. Does it have a title? Humbug a Miser's Lament. Christmas ghost story, Christmas song. Christmas ballad, something like that. Get the name right and the character will appear. Scratch. Scrounger. Come on. Scrooge. Shut the window. You think I'm made of money? So guys, we had a lot of fun uh, uh, setting up the intro uh, to this week's episode (laughs) uh, because uh, Rebecca got a case of the church giggles uh, (laughs) because she felt like she was saying over and over again. Coco, the man who invented Christmas, <laughs> which is the movie that we need. It is the movie, the movie that we, we need. want, but it's the movie that we need. It is, and it's certainly a movie that we need and want more than the man who invented Christmas, which is the movie that we're about to review now. That nobody ever wanted. No, we shouldn't have. No. Um. So this movie, it's about Charles Dickens and basically the process of him making a Christmas Carol. Yes. It takes place in like a six-week period. Yo. Um, and it's going to inspire something that I want a game I want to play with you, Jason. Oh no. Okay. So we are we're gonna have a little bit of a gap in time where we're gonna be apart. We're both traveling. I'm going to London, Jason is going to Sydney. 
um, because that's the kind of people that we are. Assholes. Being deported. Um, <laughs> sex <you> offenders. Mean... <laughs> We've been hiding our accents so well. <laughs> We've been found. Uh-huh. <laughs> the gig back... us up. So I'm going back to my people. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so the game I'm going to play... For you, and then we can maybe reconvene about middle of December and see how it goes. Is that I want you to take a 24 hour period, hopefully when you're in Australia, and I want you to try to make a story based on the things that happen to you and the things that you hear people say in that 24 or 48 hour period. Because basically, what this whole movie is about is that somehow when he was making a Christmas carol, he pulls on no history. He pulls on no literary references. The only thing, like any, the only thing that that influences a Christmas Carol are things that are said to him or that happen to him within the the two weeks before he makes the the, the story. He writes the story. Guys, it's really it's quite ridiculous. Uh, it's basically so Dan Stevens, um, the dashing Dan Stevens plays um, Charles Dickens. I don't know if Charles Dickens was also a thirst trap, but here we are. <laughs> And um, it's literally just Dan Stevens bumbling around. Uh, So as the film is opening, um, Dickens is in the U.S. doing a press tour to celebrate the triumphant release of Oliver Twist, which was a huge success. Uh, But now, as the story tells it, he's kind of fallen on hard times. His books he's written since then have not succeeded. Uh, And his family is constantly expanding. He's always knocking up his wife. And more kids are always on the way. And uh, and so he just doesn't know what to do. He's starting to run out of money. And so then um, he might become the first great artist in history to be like, I'll just do a holiday cash grab. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, cut to see his Christmas record. But uh, who I'm seeing in Sydney. The first Mariah Carey. Oh, yeah, exactly. But for her, it's passion. So, but for Dickens, uh, well, and here's the one thing that I actually thought was interesting in this entire movie, is that when Dickens was 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 writing A Christmas Carol, uh, Christmas was not like as much of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that I, you know, it's one of those things where I just forget. I forget that things that have always been things for as long as I've been alive were not always things before that. Yeah. And especially since we've been alive, since, you know, Christmas really had a resurgence uh, around World War II, there was a, a, a whole new series of, because of the distance and on so many people at war, mm-hmm. um, you know, a nation comes together um, in ways that it can, and you have songs and movies that were big hits, and then after that, everyone comes home from the war, and capitalism really, you know, steps on the gas, and then the whole, you know, you know superstore, uh, sales, gifts, presents, the like, you know, 50s suburbanization, right. and then the, and we were, you know, children of the 80s Mm -hmm. which is like you know v2 of that um wild crazy uh christmas we know now yeah so all in all fairly recent phenomenon and so what uh this movie is suggesting is that you know charles dickens did a lot of the work in shaping the way that we think of christmas through a christmas carol and and christmas carol itself is certainly an enduring text that Mm -hmm. like every single person knows uh, and, uh, and I think that it, it's, it also serves similar to Coco. There's a lot of guilt, <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> a lot of guilt, uh, that runs through this. Lots of shaming, uh, that runs through, uh, runs through the oh, story. Well, I mean, once but... again, it's sort of like, um, 
bringing up uh, with they reference Dante and Coco. It's sort mm-hmm. of the same thing. Oh yeah, like, these spirit guides who be, and people who in life are like punished in the same way um, for yeah. the their wrong for what they've did in life or punished right. in the afterlife. So the funny thing about this movie's title, giving the credit to Charles Dickens as the man who invented Christmas, when we all know it was Coco. Uh, (laughs) is that Dickens, as portrayed in this movie, and as Rebecca was alluding to earlier, did not have a single idea Mm -hmm. that was not literally said to him out loud by someone that he just (laughs) ran into in the street. He like runs into someone and they're like, bah humbug. And he's like, literally. Write that down. Literally. He's like, (gasps) he's like, humbug, humbug. And then he goes like running home, like upsets his wife, screaming humbug, running up the stairs. The first Uh, thing in the movie, he goes out to dinner with his like agent friend and the waiter is like, I'll be your waiter tonight. Uh, My name is Marley. And he's like, (gasps) Marley? (laughs) Literally. Like someone needs to do a super cut of Dan Stevens reaction (laughs) shots in this movie when someone (laughs) says like, oh, who are you? I'm Tawny Tim. Oh, you know, and then there's a, he's visiting um, someone in office at some point and there's just like a bunch of manacles, a manacle chain sitting on this guy's safe. Uh, and the guy's also like a loan, uh, a money lender that's like mm-hmm. kind of giving him a hard time. So he just sees this money lender and who clearly has the shackles uh, yeah. from life. Yeah, it is. It is. It is enough to make it funny enough that Eric and I were like scream <laughs> laughing, watching every new quote unquote revelation. It that Charles was basically Dickens would have. a movie. That's our favorite thing is when they say the title of the movie in the movie. But <laughs> yes. it was like saying all the lines from A Christmas Carol in the movie about A Christmas Carol. You know what it makes me think of? Um, and yes, 100% that it makes me think of that in Living Color sketch where they made fun of Tracy Chapman. Uh, Wait, what? And, uh, I've never seen this. So that Kim Wayans was playing Tracy Chapman, and instead of fast car, it was fast song. Um, and <laughs> okay. she was like sitting at her window, and she's like sitting at her window looking out, and she's like, I write a fast song. Look out the window and say what's going on. I write a fast <laughs> song. Um, and she's like narrating like people walking around, and then there's like a, a, a strip, like there's like a, a mugging. Uh, and, and she's like, oh, he's dead. Oh, no, he's not. Uh, <laughs> if anyone can look this up, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's very specific humor if you don't know Tracy Chapman's fast car. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so this is basically Charles Dickens is the Kim Wayans as Tracy Chapman of his day. That connection you've been dying to make for so long. <laughs> <laughs> really? Intersectionality is what this is. No, it isn't. And, uh, and uh, Shocking lack of people of character. Uh, people, people of character. <laughs> <laughs> also the case... Also the case. Um, uh, Dickens is visited by his family here. Who there's a bit. There's a whole story. This is how I review this movie. There's a whole story there. <laughs> there's a whole thing there. It's basically the glass castle. It really is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we get a whole we get a series of flashbacks to Dickens as a as a young boy. His his dad um, was bad with money, and he got carted off to a debtor's prison. Which amazingly, we you know we don't still have those. Which uh, is, of course, how he got which, like Oliver Twit. Like apparently, right? Yeah, he just stole he that. Really, too. just wrote what he knew. And the yeah. very last line of the movie, he's about to get apprehended by this uh, police officer, uh, but then he recognize the police officer recognizes him and gives him praise, and 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 Dickens is like, "Oh, thank you so much, good man. What's your name?" And he's like, "Something Copperfield." And he's like. Copperfield? Yeah, no. And we were like waiting for you had to then turn him and be just like, and you know, I, I have a tale for you. It comes from two cities and I have great <laughs> expectations for what you'll do with it. Uh, it's just that absurd. And, you know, the, a, a little piece of me appreciated the way that it depicted this very obsessive creative process that Dickens had in like birthing this timeless story. 
but it felt outsized for what a Christmas Carol is, mm. which is a very slim novella mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that is not that, I mean, like, yes, he gave birth to, like, an immortal work of art, but it's also, like, a slim little Christmas story. Right. And so all, of, like, the wailing and gnashing of teeth and alienating of his family, uh, all of, like, the troubled great man bullshit mm-hmm. that goes on in this movie so that he can write a Christmas carol <laughs> uh, just doesn't quite track. It doesn't yeah. quite track. Um, I think that um, the other thing is that this makes me what one of my one of the Christmas movies I watch every year is a Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I feel like I've already seen the Christmas Carol. Like it's like it retells the story and in, in his oh. making of it. Did in it a ruin? Way. Did it ruin it for you? I'm still gonna watch the Muppets. Let's be oh, real. Good, good. Um, but it's like it almost ruins a Christmas story for you a little bit because mm, um, right. it's this kind of like shitty version of it. Although right. Christopher Plummer does an amazing job as the Ebenezer Scrooge character. Yes. Uh, before the manifestation of his mind, before he was replacing Kevin Spacey, he was replacing, <laughs> is it Kermit who plays him in the, in... Uh, no, it's not. It's, uh, it's, uh, Michael Caine. Oh, they actually have like a, an actor, actor it's playing Michael Caine Ebenezer, that Scrooge. Plays Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, I bet those in two could go toe to toe. Amazing performance. Oof. Who, Kermit the Frog and Ebenezer Scrooge? Yes. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. No. The chemistry is... <laughs> Sizzling. <laughs> uh... You you haven't seen a Muppet Christmas Carol? No, I don't think I have. Fuck, you have thing, You have an, you have a second I, homework I assignment. Oh, so. I guess We'll do that so. one together when you get back. Okay, well, that'll be fun. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, they, they, they try to... Yeah, it's, it, it doesn't really... Ugh. And also, I think it's, it's also that thing of when you just... you It's so predictable because, like, we know mm-hmm. the outcome. Right, no one's going to die unexpectedly. Yeah, and the well, movie... except maybe Tiny Tim. Right, exactly. He's based <laughs> on his nephew. Right, oh yeah. I thought was kind of exploitative, and oh. then he made him die. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah, you just see, like, the crutch leaning against a fireplace, and you're like, oh, Jesus. Like, there's a lot of those moments because, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of things about the about A Christmas Carol that are very saturated. Mm-hmm. And then you see those like real, so-called real life influences, and they're saturated in real life too. It turns <laughs> out. I feel like maybe if this movie was serious, because it definitely has that like lighthearted, you know, holiday movie feel to it. Um, if it had been more serious, maybe I would have mm-hmm. liked it more. I don't know. This just fell. This checked no boxes for me. And it kind of straddles seriousness with a lot of like the sort of those meltdown scenes. Yeah. And I will say that yeah. I think I think <laughs> I think that Dan Stevens. Uh, I mean, he brings a lot of energy to the role, and he mm-hmm. acts as well as he can under a, 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 a baffling wig. <laughs> I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> a baffling amount of hair. <laughs> yes. uh, and, uh, and yeah, Christopher Plummer, Jonathan Price plays Dickens' father. So we have these three sort of, you know, great actors. And, and I think and, one woman playing three roles because yeah. they all look the same. <laughs> We're pretty sure they could only afford like one woman who played a maid in Downton Abbey. <laughs> and they just cast her as every woman in the movie. That is our sense. That is our sense. We're sticking with it. Um, this is a movie that you put on when your relatives are over and you just are going to do something else. But yeah, I would agree. Yeah, they're like, it, oh, it's new. Let's watch it. And then you're like. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna on. go smoke cigarettes in the garage with my cool cousin. Yeah, put it on for grandma and your weird uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, are you gonna take the challenge uh, to write Just a story? To write a story about. I mean, I haven't taken that like seven day black and white photo challenge, so I, I, I generally turn. You're I, not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Thank you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so wait, the, the, things, cha- the but... challenge is to write okay. a story based on things I see in 24 hours. See or hear people say in 24 hours. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll 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 make a note in my notes app and start making in jotting down little things as they come up and see what I can come up with. It can be. It doesn't. We don't. We don't you, have to do it the same day. Too? I'm going to do it too. Okay. When I'm in London, I'm okay. going to do it. Which? But it would be funny if. 
It's also a Christmas carol. <laughs> it turns out. Everyone says Bahamut in London all the time. It is going to be the holiday season. All these little like street orchards running around. Where should we and... go to brunch? Oh, there's this place, Jacob and Marley's. <laughs> they have amazing uh, avocado like, toast. Why, why is that grave of my name on it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I am from there. <laughs> the man who invented Christmas. Uh, what are we giving it? I'm giving it a send it back. Yeah, this is I, time for yeah this. I'd say. It's a, I, yeah, I can't imagine myself ever recommending this to someone. So if this is like a life is too short for this mess moment, this is that. Yeah. It's not like a... Like, I hate send it back. No. It's just a you have other things to do. Yeah. Um, but it's rated PG for thematic elements and some mild language. Which brings us to our last movie of the week, The Divine Order. Switzerland, 1971. Despite the worldwide social upheavals of the previous decade, women are still denied the right to vote. When unassuming and dutiful housewife Nora is forbidden by her husband to take a part-time job, her frustration leads to her becoming the poster child of the town suffragette movement. Her newfound celebrity brings humiliation, threats, and the potential end to her marriage. But refusing to back down, she convinces the women of her village to go on strike and makes a few startling discoveries about her own liberation. So this movie is in... German. German. Um, so there's no trailer for you. I thought this was going to be a documentary. Oh. Um, I thought that you had said it's a documentary. Oh, no. So either you lied or I misremembered. <laughs> Both are very possible. <laughs> Uh, so it was very delight. I was actually kind of like not looking forward to yeah. uh, it as a documentary. Um, interesting as it is to know uh, the different um, you know paths other places have gone um, have taken to get to uh, uh, women's right to vote. Yes, um, this was uh, this was a delight. This was a delightful story of uh, this woman Nora in this very 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 small town. It, the actually intro is pretty great because they show all these clips from like. You know, San Francisco in the 60s and Black Panther movement and like March on Washington and all these things. Gloria Steinem. Gloria Steinem giving a speech. And then they're like, all of this is going on in the world. And then it cuts like pretty severely to like a, in a small idyllic uh, town in Switzerland where clearly uh, none of this is penetrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, it's a sweet town. Uh, it's like a, it's like a mill town. Um, is that what they make there? It's like a mill or mine? Something like that. Something like that. Basically, it's a family story. Um, there's this family where the grandfather is um, sort of the head of the household. There's uh, there are two sons, and uh, this woman, Nora, is married to one, and she happens to stumble upon people who are um, talking about women's liberation. Yes, uh, and uh, and from there it follows what I would describe as an extremely expected uh, story arc hmm. of uh, of Nora, uh, you know, like sort of slowly, gradually, you know, sparking to this, and then meeting a few fellow outcasts and kind mm-hmm. of furtively, like beginning to plant seeds of of, of rebellion and of wanting to push back against uh, the perceived wisdom. Uh, the the primary villain here is another woman who is leading uh, the charge to something like the anti-politicization of women, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. insisting that women don't want the, the right to vote. Uh, it just so happens to add extra conflict to the story that, our, that Nora's husband goes away for some time on business and that while he's away... Uh, she kind of flourishes in this role as this unlikely leader after a very sort of like bumbling start. And the woman who leads the counter movement is her husband's boss. Yes, that too. 
and uh, and then you know lots of conflict and wives are pit against husbands and uh, you know I have to say I did not actually like this as much as you did I don't think mm. I felt like this was the most by the numbers uh, uh, historical story I've seen in a long time mm-hmm. I felt like it just took every single tiny little step I expected to take. I just felt like it wasn't inspired. I felt like it was nothing new. I felt like it was just like Swedish suffragette uh, or Swiss <laughs> rather. Um, and uh, except for, you know, suffer- this is much lighter. This is a very mm-hmm. like lighthearted, mm-hmm. crowd pleasing um, movie. And it's easy. It's easy. It's mm-hmm. obvious. Mm-hmm. So obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I think like what I was interested in is like, well, why didn't Switzerland have women's suffrage in 1971? And I don't feel like this movie explained that. No, uh, no, you know, it, the movie is not interested at all in like any any larger picture of like, well, what would the fuck was wrong with Switzerland? And it really just takes this one small town as like a microcosm. Like, okay, like what would it look like in this one small town? Which, yeah, absolutely, that's valid. And then there are these super fast title cards at the end. They're like, oh, yeah. like it wasn't really all across the whole country until 1990. Uh, that's insane. Yeah, and you're like, what? Well, <laughs> what? That sounds interesting. Let's hear more about that, please. Right. Um, instead of, you know, this woman named Nora, or she's, her name is pronounced by the weird Swiss people in the movie, like, uh, which is odd to me. Odd. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Apologies to all our Swiss fans. Yes, apologies. Once again. Apologies. <laughs> Here we go again. Apology on the side. Apology tour on the road. But, I, uh. I think it's a good, I mean, I think that like, you know, coming from, a, coming from what's going on in the world now. It's always an interesting reminder to say to see how not so long ago and not so far away things continue to be and were places that we had these assumptions uh, to be very progressive were not. And the small town ideas around um, change and around gender roles um, and how something that, you know, this was this woman's wife, like 30 in 1971, like who, you know, is, you know, not 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 up here. I mean, you know, okay, closer to our parents' age, but like, you know, that's a very, very close um, mm-hmm. in a in a society where that we would consider to be like, you know, a, a peer to our own. So I think that like it's always a good reminder, um, especially when we see things that are so terrible now mm-hmm. um, going on. That like even even though it's so very clear that we have so much work to do, it's just nice to take for a moment and think about all the work that's been done. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a ref- it's a good refresher um, and to think about the people that, that took these steps that were like just as difficult for them now as it is to like come out on Twitter against uh, someone who's, you know, a sexual assault um, perpetrator. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I do think this movie, though, is, and I just thought of this, it's like the anti-BPM. Because it is nothing but stock characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it does not show really like a lot of work. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It is. It just felt like it just it hit. Every, it just mm-hmm. hit every cliche that you could have mm-hmm. for this kind of story. Uh, right down to like, oh, there's a rebellious teen in the house, and oh, she runs away, and then uh, you know, and then there's the 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 salty old broad, uh, you know, who energizes, and and there's a uh, you know, there's there's. Uh, oh, time for a, a radical feminist to lead a, a seminar where you look at your vagina. Uh, you know, I, I just, it just just because you know that you're a butterfly doesn't mean that everybody knows that they're a butterfly. It's a tiger. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah. So I just felt like you know it was just yeah, just cheap and sentimental, and uh, and and it just yeah, it just it, you know is it yeah, it's the anti BPM where that movie 
um, really dug into the complexity uh, and the rich, you know, sort of authentic humanity of its characters. This just felt like a very sanitized uh, kind of, yeah, cheap and easy way to tell the story. And I just, I was disappointed. I think that the reason that I'm mm. being hard on is because I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Because reading what it was about, I'm like, oh, that should be really interesting. And then I'm like, oh, I've seen this movie like 25 times. Mm-hmm. I think that like, I think for our listeners, this is just one of those um, classic examples of whether you, where you have to decide who you like better, me or Jason. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty confident we're going to come down on Team Rebecca here. So uh, <laughs> go fuck yourself, buddy. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> God bless us one, everyone. <laughs> Write that down. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I, I agree in a lot of ways. Um, I wouldn't go out on a limb and say this is like groundbreaking by any means. But I do think that the story was. And I think that that's, that's interesting to look at. And I, I think that if you've seen a lot of uh, movies like BPM, that they, they take a story of people making change and make it so uh full of energy and so exciting and so brand new this looks like um you know it's like when you go out with that friend who's way more attractive than you it's not the, not the time it's not your night it's not your night <laughs> just go home early save yourself the trouble but, but i think there are days for movies like this so i'm not going to give it a send it back i'm going to give oh, it yeah. a, a consume yeah it's a consume for me too i wasn't going to give it a send it back like i think it's still like competent enough and just just by virtue of what it's about you know, and the fact that it's well made, I think, it, you know, it, it should get that. But, you know, it reminded me a lot of like Pride, that movie Pride, you know, uh, about the, you know, the, the gay kids in, in London who go into mm, Wales yeah, to try to, it's, it's, yeah, so similar. Uh, but, but yeah, I've, I've made my point. It is a consume for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rebecca, take it away. Uh, it's unrated, um, but it would probably be an R. Um... Yeah, there's there's some nudie nudie bits, mm-hmm. and there and it ends it ends with a literal climax. Yeah, it does, which I thought was nice. Sure. Um, that is <laughs> the myth of the female. <laughs> we were joking about like, well, what's the through line through the movies we're talking about this week? Mythology, mythology, and we're like, okay, so in Coco, it's mythology of the afterlife, and in Christmas Carol, it's the mythology of creativity. Of, of creativity, <laughs> and this, it's the myth of the female orgasm. So that's our through line this week, ladies and gentlemen. Keep on believing, and thank you so much for listening uh, to our show. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Be sure to subscribe if you uh, can. And you can follow Jason on Twitter at XSFaggage. I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.